Okay, we're going to start today with David. We've looked at seven others so far who have been called wise. Uh, they have been singled out and uh, described as people who are wise in that they took the wisdom of God's word and they applied it to their lives and their circumstances and their situations. And uh, not only were they better off for it, but others around them and those who came in contact with them were better off because of the wisdom that they applied to their lives. And again, we want to remind us that wisdom doesn't mean anything. It amounts to nothing unless we apply it, unless we use it. And you can have all the wisdom in the world, and if you don't use it, uh, it'll mean absolutely nothing. And we saw that uh, in the life of Solomon, uh, who was the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, he had all the wisdom, but he did not apply that wisdom correctly in a lot of circumstances in his life. And as a result, uh, he, at the end of his life, uh, he had a lot of regrets. And uh, God has given us his word so that we can go through our lives with as less regrets as we could possibly have. And the only way we do that is by applying his word to our lives. So we're going to look at Daniel today, uh, who is also called a wise counselor. Huh? David or Daniel? Daniel. Daniel. I said David? No, it's Daniel you're looking at. Daniel. Uh, Daniel was recognized as a man who was so in touch with God that God helped him to solve a lot of difficult problems and as a result of that God was glorified and honored by pagan kings. Daniel chapter 5 we get out someone read verses 11 to 11, just two verses, verse 11 and 12 Daniel chapter 5 Daniel chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. There is a man in the kingdom who is the spirit of the Holy Lord, and in the days of that light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods is found in him, whom the king never confessed. Father, thy father, the king. I say, thy father made master of magician, astrologers, and children, and soothsayers. Father? Yeah, verse, verse 12, too. Mm -hmm. For as much as an excelling, excellent spirit and knowledge, and understanding and interpreting of dreams, Shooting off the high sentence, sentences and the stop dissolving of those were found in the same Daniel in the king named Nebuchadnezzar. Now, yet Daniel recalled and he issued the interpretation. Okay, so we, hear, uh, we see here uh, Daniel is being described. Uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar had a problem. He had a dream, he didn't know, understand what the dream meant, didn't know what it meant, so he uh, was trying to get his, his wise men, or his astrologers, and fortune tellers, and enchanters, and magicians, 
uh, to come and try to give him some understanding of what's going on. None of them could do it. And so someone mentioned, you know, there's a fellow in the kingdom whose name is, 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 uh, is Daniel. And uh, I noticed they described them as having uh, the spirit of the holy gods. Now these people, they had many gods. They had numerous gods. They had a god for just about everything under the sun. And, uh, and so they attributed Daniel's wisdom as coming from one of the gods. Uh, they didn't know the one triune God. And so Daniel was put into the equation and it gave, God, gave Daniel an opportunity to exalt the one triune God. Now during Daniel's uh, boyhood, uh, his, po his boyhood is, is positive proof that making mistakes is not necessarily associated with being young, as many people uh, like to think. You know, the hearts of adults are more quickly won by the characteristic wisdom in words and actions of young people. Daniel and his friends uh, were unexpectedly taken from their homes in Judah, and they were exiled to a foreign land. King and his army came and he grabbed them out of their familiar surroundings, their home, and he exiled them to a foreign land. And uh, according to the scriptures, they were they were taught the language of the Chaldeans. They were they were given a new diet to eat. They were uh, trained to go into service for the king. Uh, and uh, in that type of service, more than likely, they were all castrated because that was a part of being in the king's service. And so, it gives you an idea of what these young men had to go through. Uh, their whole lives were taken from them, and in fact their future and posterity was taken from them but because of the fact that they were castrated. Uh, so his friends, they were unexpectedly pushed into a foreign land, and even though their futures, uh, uh, the futures they faced were uncertain, and they didn't know what's going to, what was going to happen to them, all of them had some personal qualities that qualified them for jobs in the king's palace or in the king's realm or household. Instead of letting the opportunities take advantage of them, they took advantage of the opportunities. And that's what wisdom does when you apply it properly. Instead of allowing the opportunities to take advantage of you, you take advantage of the opportunities that are made of it. In other words, you make the best out of a bad situation. That's what wisdom tells us to do. It teaches us to do. Once we have it, we can apply it, we can make a bad situation better. And that's what these boys did. They didn't allow the opportunities to take advantage of them. They reversed the process and they took advantage of the opportunities. The first clue that we have of Daniel's greatness is how he calmly rejected compromising his convictions. Now he didn't. Uh, the, the king gave them a diet. They wanted the king wanted to feed them this this big lavish diet that the king ate, same food the king ate, which was actually some of the stuff that was offered to idols. And uh, rather than becoming belligerent and as we say, no manners, uh, he acted diplomatically. You know, a lot of times we are faced with challenges and we know it's contrary to what God believes, God says we should do, or we, it's common to, it's, it's, it's against just plain common decency. And we have a tendency to be rude 
and rebellious in our response. Notice how Daniel's response was not like that. Despite what all that all that they'd gone through, he had every reason to be angry. They had every reason to be upset with the king. The king took them from their land, their family, their relatives, everything they ever knew. And then they were they were they were castrated, which means they couldn't have families of their own. So they had every single reason in the world to be angry and upset and rude and no manners and disobedient and rebellious. But they weren't. Okay, Daniel calmly rejected compromising his convictions. He resisted changing the good habits he had formed as a result of applying God's will to his life. Now he could have forgotten all about what God did because he could have said, as some people like to say, God let this happen to me. Okay, God could have stopped this and he let this happen. How could God let this? I've been so faithful to God. I've done all that God told me to do. And look at what, look at what he let me get into. That could have been his response. And you know, that's the response of many people today when trials and tribulations hit them. They blame God. They blame God. Daniel realized that everything that was happening was in the confines of God's sovereign purpose and will. For him and for the king and for everybody else involved. And that's how he looked at it. And so he resisted changing his good habits. A vital part of his relationship with God was his physical and spiritual diets. Vital part of his, of his relationship with God. While he was cautious about what he ate, he also lived a prayerful life. He was a man who could be described as a man of prayer. Eating food from the king's table was one of the benefits of being in royal service. Everyone who was in the king's service was required it was mandatory to eat the king's food. And so Daniel diplomatically chose a less lavish menu and demonstrated that it was a healthier choice. Now what is it? Daniel said to the fellow who was in charge, he said, listen, you know, you, we can't eat that stuff. Okay? It may not may look good. You know, it may even taste good. But, you know, as children of God, we can't eat that stuff. That's forbidden. But I tell you what. You give us a diet of such and such, and we'll prove to you that it's just as good or better. Okay? The fellow said, man, you're going to get me, you're going to cost me my head. You know, if the king found that I'm not giving you what he told me to give you, he's going he's to kill me. I'm, it's my head on the shopping block. Okay? And Daniel said, just test us for seven days. Okay? So Daniel gave an alternative. Daniel said, we ain't eating our food, and God said we shouldn't eat. That's it, we ain't, ain't eating nothing. Okay? That would have been rebellious. He didn't. He gave an alternative. He says, we're not going to, we can't eat that food. We're not going to eat that food. But tell you what, this is what we will do. You give us an alternative. And I will show you, we'll demonstrate how our alternative is much better. It's a healthier choice. It's better. And so the fellow said, okay. Now, notice, God was in, is in control of this whole situation. God orchestrated all of this. God directed even the response of the man who then gave this alternative to. Now, although Daniel limited how much he ate, he fully indulged himself in prayer. His ability to communicate with God was a result of an intentional habit. He made it a habit of spending time with God. And he transformed his convictions into practice, even though later on it meant being thrown into a den of hungry lions. Okay, but he was a man of wisdom. He applied his wisdom accurately and God 
used him in a tremendous. His way of life showed that the choice he made was the right one. And his wisdom demonstrated that clearly. And so just like Daniel, our efforts to control our appetite should be become obvious and, regu and a regular test at meal times. We should test our control of our appetites by trusting God. You know, those guys, those young fellas, they probably hadn't even seen the kind of food that the king had, was offering them. And so there was a tremendous temptation. What does that look good, eh? You know, and they could have been tempted to, be, to eat it because of how, how, how tempting and how, how it looked. But they refused. And they chose God's will instead. So the question that we have is, do we hold tightly to our faith in God regardless of what happens to us by willingly, willingly doing what God says? Do we embrace, do we hold on to God despite whatever we're going through because we believe what God says and we know that no matter how things may look now, God is still going to bring us through. Question is, do we do that? It is this kind of conviction that enables you to maintain a steady pace ahead of temptation. When we have that kind of conviction, we're always a step ahead of the temptation, just like Daniel and his friends were. They had that conviction, so when the temptations came, they were already a step ahead. Okay, they knew exactly what to do. They didn't allow themselves to be overwhelmed. You know, we have uh, people who uh, have gone to, to Disneyland for the first time. Boy, and they were overwhelmed they saw all that stuff. It's just amazing. They never, they never thought they, they, that kind of stuff existed before. Okay, Daniel and his friends could have responded the same way and become overwhelmed by what they saw, but they trusted in God. They relied on God and they did not allow the temptation to get the better of them. This kind of conviction provides wisdom and steadiness in shifting circumstances. Our entire lives involve shifting circumstances. The devil is a shifty character. Okay, he's always shifting things around to make things look a little bit better, make it look tempting, make it look as if something that you can't refuse. And so we live in that kind of a time. Circumstances is always shifting. Prayerfully, the challenge is that we have to prayerfully live out our convictions on a daily basis and trust God for the results. Don't change your mind as you're going through, the, you, you, you're going through an experience and you're trusting God and it's not working out the way you want it to work out and you change your mind and say, Lord, you know what, this ain't working. Let me try something else. I got a better idea. Okay, that's what happens and, and as a result, we never experience the blessings that God has in store for us because we short circuit the whole process that God had in mind. Okay, instead of going through with what God intended, he says, you know what Lord, uh, this don't look like this is working. I have a better idea. Let me try something else. And, uh, and yet we say that God is sovereign. We say that God knows what he's doing and we don't trust him. Okay, so we prayerfully live on our convictions on a daily basis, every single day. Don't allow the devil to bring any circumstances that are going to shift the circumstances in your life and cause you to change your mind about what, you, what you're doing for God. On a daily basis, trust God and allow God to work out the results. Now, uh, Daniel, like some of these other fellows that we saw, uh, 
did not have any faults and failures. He was one of the few who did not have any faults or failures. He did have some strengths and some successes in his life. And so that tells you a whole lot about Daniel's character right there, that he didn't have any faults. There's not, you know, when, 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 uh, when Jesus was addressing the churches in, in Revelation, you know, he, he would often say, well, you know, this is what you're doing right, but I have this against you. But all the churches except one or two. But Daniel is one of those individuals who did not have any faults. In other words, he was trusting God every step of the way. And so his strengths and successes, he stayed true to his faith, even though he was young when he was deported. Uh, young people are often impressionable. The younger they are, the more impressionable they are. And Daniel faced that. But he stayed true to his faith, even though he was young, even though he was deported into a foreign land. He stayed true to his faith, and that's one of his strengths and his successes. Uh, the other one was he served as an advisor to two Babylonian kings and two Medo-Persian kings. Okay, every time Daniel came forward, and he, and he, and he, he uh, in one case, he had to tell what the dream was. The king said one time, said, I have this dream, and I don't remember what the dream is. You all need to tell me what the dream is and interpret it to me, for me. And the, the wise man says, but, but king, what you asking for is impossible. He said, you do it or you're going to die. Boy, that's a tough one, eh? The fellow said, but sir, ain't nobody on earth can do something like that. Nobody on earth could tell you what you dream and then tell you the interpretation. If, if you just tell them what the, interpret what the dream is, then they will be able to interpret it for you. The king said, listen, I already spoke. You tell me what I dream or you're going to die. It's a hard man. And the fellow said, you know, we know a fellow in the kingdom named Daniel. He, he, probably can, uh, he probably can tell you what the dream was and tell you what the interpretation was. And, uh, and so Daniel came forward and uh, as a result of that, uh, the king praised Daniel's God. He praised Daniel's God. And he says, anybody who speak up to Daniel, about Daniel's God, I will have them pull limb from limb. I'll pull them apart and tear up their house and destroy them. Okay, but he praised Daniel's God. As a result of that, Daniel got promoted. And Daniel says, you know what, I'm not alone in this. And he got his other three friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, get promoted too. Okay, but he ended up serving two Medo-Persian kings. Because every time these kings had these, these dreams... Daniel was the one. Well, they, they, they promoted him, the king promoted him at that particular point to the chief of the magicians. He was in charge of all them other fellows who've been there a long time. Okay, so he promoted him. And uh, on two occasions he promoted but in every case, he praised Daniel's response to the king, resulted in the king, a pagan king, praising and exalting Daniel's God. But what the kings never learned was that Daniel's God was the only true God, the only true God there was. And they, what they did was they lumped Daniel's God in along with the many other gods. Because after Daniel answered the first dream, uh, interpreted the first dream, and they remembered him, they described him as one who was given special power by the gods, as we saw in this verse. Here, they said he was one who was, uh, had the spirit of the holy God. So even though God performed this tremendous the task through Daniel interpreted the dream, they still only saw God as one of many gods. And God had to do that over and over again to be able to get the message. The last time he did it was with uh, with um, 
Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, uh, Belteshazzar, Belshazzar, who was king, and uh, remember the story of the handwriting on the wall? Remember that? Well, in Daniel chapter 1, when, 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 uh, when Daniel and his friends were captured, what Nebuchadnezzar also did was he took some of the vessels out of the temple, the sacred vessels that were used in worship to God. They were holy sacred vessels. Only the priest, only the high priest could handle these vessels. Okay, because they were used to worship and serve God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar took those, those stuff and he put them in the temple of, the God, of his gods. But when we come to Daniel chapter 5, we see that uh, uh, Belshazzar had this great feast, had all his wives and all his great nobles and everything. And uh, the Bible says after he tasted the wine, now we don't know if he was drunk or not, but the, the scripture says after he tasted the wine, he called for all of these vessels that were taken by his grandfather. He says, bring them. We're going we're gonna to party with this stuff. And they got the vessels and they poured the wine into vessels and they used these vessels to drink the wine out of and they worshipped and served the gods of wood and iron and stone and clay and, and all the gods that they had. Okay, now what they did was they didn't only uh, defile the vessels of the temple, but what they did was they engaged God himself in the debauchery that they were doing. And what God did, God's response was God allowed a hand to appear, to appear. And the hand wrote something on the wall. And the Bible says that the king saw the back of the hand as it wrote on the wall. And uh, if we turn to that passage in Daniel chapter 5, uh, let's turn to that. Probably turn to the passage. In Daniel chapter 5, I want you to show you exactly what happened uh, when the king uh, drank the wine. In Daniel chapter 5, it says, verse 4, They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, of bronze, of iron, of wood. And suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the, on the plaster, plaster on the wall in the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. And notice what happened to the king in verse 6. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him. And his hip joints went, went slack, and his knees began knocking together. Sounds like he was scared, eh? <laughs> And the king called aloud, Bring in the conjurers and the Chaldeans and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read this inscription and explain his interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Now at this time, um, Belshazzar was in a dual rulership. Uh, with his father, Nabonidus, and uh, they shared rulership. So his father was the king, and he was second in command. So he says, anybody who could do this, they'll become the third ruler in the kingdom. Okay, that's a high position. Okay, right under him. All right, and so he says, anybody who could do this can do that. But the king, you notice, whenever what happens when a person is afraid? Don't you get weak in the knees? You're weak in the knees and, you, and your, your legs just give out under you, right? 
exactly what happened to the king. Okay, and the people saw all of this. Uh, verse 8 says, And then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then the king was very greatly alarmed, and his face grew even paler. His face was probably white as a sheet by now. Okay, he became even paler. And his nobles were perplexed. When they saw the state that the king was in, the word went out, hey, something wrong with the king. He looked like he, he, he died or something. The queen uh, entered the banquet hall. Now this queen, this wasn't one of his wives. History tells us that she could have been either Nebuchadnezzar's wife or his father's wife, because in the verse, in the earlier part of the verse, it tells us that all his wives were there with him in the in the palace. They were drinking all and partying up, drinking out of the sacred vessels. So this queen wasn't his wife. She was was either Nebuchadnezzar's wife or his father's wife, Nebuchadnezzar's wife. She came in, and uh, she came into the hall, and she uh, spoke to the king, and she said, uh, "Don't let your thoughts alarm you, or your face be pale." In other words, don't get scared. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. Now, after all that God had done to make himself known, he is still lumped in with all of the other gods. He's described as one of many gods. And so he says, he, this Daniel, he has the spirit of the holy gods. And uh, it says, and in, those, in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your your father, the king, appointed him chief of the musicians. This is after the first uh, occasion that Daniel had to interpret the first dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Then he was appointed chief of the magicians and conjurers and Chaldeans and diviners. Uh, this is because of an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and wisdom. Notice an extraordinary spirit of knowledge, insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems. See, that's what wisdom does. Wisdom enables you to solve difficult problems. And you know, we live in a world with a lot of problems, eh? don't we? I mean, everywhere you turn, you have problems. Okay, the government got problems they're trying to solve. Well, the Bible tells us that wisdom enables us to solve difficult problems. Okay? Uh, difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and uh, he will declare the interpretation. Okay, so Daniel shows up. Verse 13, Daniel was brought in before the king, and he spoke and he said to Daniel, Are you the Daniel that uh, are you one of the exiles from the Judah? So you remember them. One of the things about these kings, they knew history. Okay, and that often worked against them. Okay, as we'll see in this case, they knew history. And so he says, are you one of the, the, the tribes, one of those that we exiled from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought in from Judah? He says in verse 14, now I've heard about you. Your reputation precedes you. Is what he is saying. That a spirit of the gods is in you. Again, lumping him in, lumping God in with all the other gods, putting God on the same level as all the other gods. And an illumination and insight and extraordinary wisdom, notice, extraordinary wisdom, have been found in you. 
Just now the wise men and the conjurers who were brought before them, before me, that they might read the inscription and make his interpretation known to me, they could not declare the interpretation of the message. And then he says in verse 16, he says, but I personally have heard about you. Okay, now notice he's signing his own death warrant by just making that statement twice for the second time. Okay, I personally have heard about you and you're able to interpret. And then he says, he says, if you're able to do this, I will, you know, clothe you in purple and give you gold necklace and make you third rule in the kingdom. Notice what Daniel's response was. Now anybody would have jumped on that. Boy, I'm going to be third in the kingdom. Wow, I'm going to be a big shot. Daniel responded with 17 was it? Then Daniel answered and said uh, before the king, keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to somebody else. In other words, I don't want them. I don't want your stuff. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make known the interpretation. And then he goes on, our time is gone here, but he goes on and he reads, he makes the, the interpretation, he explains it to the king, and uh, the king totally, and this is one of the few occasions this has happened, his grandfather always acknowledged God as the Most High God whenever Daniel interpreted him, but this king, he didn't do a thing. He, he totally ignored God. He doesn't even mention God at all. Daniel interprets the dream, and uh, Daniel tells him that, you know, if you don't, if you don't uh, respond, this is what's going to happen. And he doesn't respond uh, by acknowledging Daniel's God like his grandfather did, but after Daniel interprets the dream, then verse 29 says, Then Balthasar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and a necklace of gold around his neck, and issued the proclamation concerning him that uh, he was now the third ruler in the kingdom. He totally ignored God. Notice the next verse says, That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. That same night, he was slain. Okay, so we see what happens when God is ignored. When God is rejected. And Daniel went on to serve uh, other kings in that kingdom. His name, he was a man of prayer and a statesman with the gift of prophecy, and he survived in the lion's den. But what does his life teach us as we wrap up here? It teaches us that quiet convictions frequently earn lasting respect. Quiet convictions frequently earn lasting respect. In other words, if you're not going to speak up for God, you're not going to get the kind of respect that you deserve as a child of God. And we see that in Daniel's life. It also teaches us that learning about prayer should not be left out until a tough situation comes up. Notice how people only find prayer time when, when they're in trouble. Lord, I haven't bothered you for 25 years and you get me out of this mess, I haven't bothered you for another 25. You know, that's the way people are. Look at the, what the tragedies in the United States. Whenever a big tragedy happens, everybody's praying. Yet still prayer is not allowed in the schools. And then it also teaches us that God is able to use people wherever they are. Wherever you are, God can use you. And we see that in Daniel's case. Amen? Amen.